Hi everyone, welcome to Devoted Devotions. For those of you who are new, my name is Tandy. So without further ado, let's get into it. Being a child of God is really not easy. Like, I always thought that once you get baptized, you've made it. It's almost like graduating, right? You get the certificate and you've passed at life. But in actual fact, the second that you step out of that water, you have made Satan your number one enemy. I always thought that once you make that decision, everything in life becomes sunshine and roses. But the reality is that it's not. And I prayed, Lord, why is everything so difficult? When you have promised me all these beautiful promises. That's when I learned that this is how it's always been. When the Israelites were baptized in the Red Sea, they went into the wilderness before they could get into the promised land. When Jesus was baptized, the word says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. So this message is for all of those who are in their wilderness season right now. A season where you are being called to rely on God more than you ever have in your entire life. 1 Peter 4 verses 12 to 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you might also be glad with exceeding joy. Oh, this verse is telling us that we shouldn't be shocked when we, fi- when, we, when we face trying times here on earth, right? It's not a strange thing. But we should rejoice because we partake of Christ's sufferings. And even Jesus told us that we would have trouble in the world. But he said that we shouldn't be dismayed because he has overcome the world. And therefore, he has overcome our troubles. John 15 verses 18 to 27. Verses 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 19. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 20. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Let's go to 23. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, that they hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, 
when the Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Mm. Amen. He will testify of me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This speaks to suffering from outside influences, right? Where you lose family, friends, you're losing colleagues. Everyone you know starts to turn against you. The people you thought loved you show you their true colors. They lie about you. They slander your name. They gossip, backbite, they steal. All of the horrible things you can imagine. That's what they do to you. A person they have claimed to love. They try to kill your spirit and bring you down and you wonder why this is happening. So stop wondering because no servant is greater than his master. If you are a servant of Christ, you are going to suffer like Christ for the law to be fulfilled. Let's turn to Job chapter 23 verses 1 to 12. Verses 2, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless before because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I may come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. He would contend with me in his great... Oh, would he contend with me in his great power? No. But he would take note of me. This is Job. He's at a point where he is tired of speaking to his friends. Um, I'm not going to reiterate his story. We should all know it. But at this point, he's no longer speaking to his friends. The friends who have been discouraging him. The friends who have been accusing him of committing some sin. And blaming him for the trials and the tribulations that he's been going through. And so he he stops conversing with them. He says, you know what? I'm not, I don't even want to speak to you guys anymore. I need to take this to God. And in verse 4, he says, if I could just speak to God, I would present my case before him. I'd fill my mouth with arguments. Like I'd explain why I don't deserve this, you know? And then he even says, would he, would he even contend against me? No, he wouldn't. He would, he would take note of me. Ooh. And the irony in this is that when God finally responds, he actually doesn't speak to Job about um, what happened in the spiritual realm, saying, no, Job, listen, Satan and I had a wager over like your faith. You know, He doesn't tell Job any of that because that is none of his business. He says, read Job from chapter 40 all the way to the end. He says, is it 40 or 38? Somewhere around there. (laughs) He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God speaks about how big he is. He doesn't even address Job's concerns, honestly. Um, Let's go to verses 8. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. I go backward, I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. 
This type of suffering speaks to where you don't even have the energy to argue with people anymore. It's like, you know what? I need God himself to explain why I am going through this because I'm in so much pain. Remember, this was written after Job spoke to his friends. He was tired of his friends not understanding um, this spiritual battle and he took his plea to the Most High. It's a very emotional passage because he is in so much pain. He says, I don't even see where the Lord is right now. Everywhere I go, it's like, you're not here with me. And I'm sure that there is someone who can relate to this. And if you can, I want to encourage you that your resolution is found in verses 10. When God has tested you, you will come forth as gold. There's an example that I came across about a goldsmith being asked about the refining process of gold and how it works, right? So the student asked him, how do you know when the gold is ready? So basically, the goldsmith sticks the bar of gold in fire and then he pulls it out and then he sticks it back in the fire and he pulls it out. So he says, the gold is only ready when I can see my face in it. Now, the question that I am putting to you this evening is, in all your trials and tribulations, in the midst of your crucibles, are you reflecting Christ? Will God be able to pull you out of the fire and see his reflection? Or will he see you and have to put you back in the fire? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 to seven, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire. Though tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is so powerful because it's speaking to our faith being that gold. Our faith is tested by fire and our faith needs to reveal um, Jesus Christ, right? Your trial by fire is there to reveal the character of Christ. Remember when the disciples saw that man who had been blind his whole life and they asked, Lord, who sinned? Was it his parents or him? <laughs> this just shows you firstly that the disciples, Zazi Tandindaba, they used to like, they were very nosy. <laughs> they were very nosy. But in verses, in John chapter 9, verses 3, Jesus answers and says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God may be revealed in him. Another version says that the works of God should be manifest in him. So that he should be a vessel which God uses to show his power. We like to blame ourselves or look for reasons and, you know, try to justify why we are going through so much suffering. But the reason for the suffering is for God's name to be praised. Before I go on, I do want to mention that there is a difference between suffering for Christ and the consequences of your own actions. 
Please ask the Holy Spirit for discernment as I don't have enough time to get into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 to 7. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. Amen. Amen. Five, for as the sufferings of Christ are abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Ooh, amen. Verses seven. Oh, verses six. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of sufferings, you will also partake of the consolation. This is so powerful. Verses 4 is, is honestly so encouraging. It says, the God, God is a God of comfort, right? And he comforts us in our tribulations. And then when we are comforted, we have to comfort someone else in their tribulation oh this is so beautiful because it means that we can't keep god's blessings to ourselves whenever he imparts anything to us we need to share it with someone else mm. and it says in verses five that the sufferings of christ are abound in us and so is his consolation I actually recommend that you read this um, in conjunction with 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 to 16. Um, verses 8 says, We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We carry his suffering. Remember, Jesus suffered and died. That the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our body. 11. For, for, we, who are, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed every day. I know it's so easy for us to sit and wallow in our suffering and in our grief and in our pain and our misery. But just look back and, and see the way God has carried you through everything. We are pressed on every side. Everywhere you go, there, there's 
a problem, there's trials, there's tribulations. Things don't work out. But that doesn't crush us. We are perplexed. Guys, life is so difficult. Life is life is so difficult. Ask me. <laughs> but I am not destroyed. None of this destroys me. Because verse 16 says that even though my physical body is perishing, even though I am dying every day, we don't see it, but we really are aging towards the grave, right? It says the inward man, the spirit, is being renewed day by day. Amen, Lord. And so we must suffer with him to take part in his consolation. Let's turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Did you catch that? These trials produce patience. And what is patience? It's fruit, right? It's the third fruit. Didn't Jesus tell us that he has ordained us to bear fruit in John chapter 15, verses 16? This is actually one of my favorite verses. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So if Jesus has appointed us to bear fruit... And fruit is brought out by trials. Then doesn't it make sense that we are going to go through these trials to produce this fruit? Guys, we can't get the fruit of the spirit by just sitting and praying for them. If you pray for patience... God doesn't hand it to you on a silver platter. He gives you a situation in which you have to exercise patience. So look at your life, right? What are the trials that you are going through? And what are the fruits that those trials are trying to bring out? Remember Daniel and his three friends? They were in the fire and Christ was with them. The text actually doesn't tell us if um, Daniel and his friends could see Christ while they were in the fire. Um, basically, this is speaking to how people on the outside will see Christ in your life. Um, because the net. Because Nebuchadnezzar was the one who saw Christ, who proclaimed Christ. And this is perfectly reflected in 2 Corinthians in verses 6. Now we are afflicted. It is for your consolation and salvation. And we endure these things for you. Basically, we go through the fire so that you can see Jesus Christ. I, I hope you guys are catching that. This is not about the fire. It's not about any of that. It's about people being able to see Jesus Christ. Daniel 12 verses 10. 
Many will be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So are we wise or are we wicked? Do we understand? Do you murmur and complain and throw a tantrum whenever things don't go your way or whenever you're faced with grievous trials? Or do you just praise the Lord in the midst of the fire? Are people able to see Christ in your life? Are they able to see Christ in the midst of your fire? Let's look at Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23. This is when Paul is heartbroken over the Corinthians believing the lies of the false teachers. He had worked so hard to build the church in Corinth and these wicked people just come and they try and sabotage all the work that he's put in. And it is at this point in verse 23 where he... He has to basically prove himself. He has to explain and he basically has to show his credentials. When he has to point to his apostolic credentials, he doesn't point to wealth and excess. He points to suffering. When Paul says, look, here's my proof of being a child of God. Look. Listen to me. Don't listen to them because they're lying. Paul doesn't talk about glamorous things. He refers to his suffering. How many times do we actually see this? Because we're used to this picture of prosperity, right? Whenever people are asked to testify of God's grace, Like, yeah, God is so good. Oh, I got a new house. I got a new car. I got a new this. I got a new that. And I'm not saying to not be thankful. That's not where I am. I'm speaking on, firstly, being thankful for those things in private, (laughs) but also speaking on the fact that you actually see, Christ is actually revealed when you are suffering. Paul was beaten, scourged, and shipwrecked multiple times. He was even stoned at some point. And God was still with him. That's what he points to as his evidence that God is still with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, let me read it quickly. Um, I'll be reading from the King James Version. It says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, for God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. So there's three things that we can learn from this. The first one is that God will use enemy forces to humble you. Remember, God is sovereign. God is almighty. He will use a messenger of Satan. Remember, messenger is is angel, an angel of Satan. And we would normally refer to that as a demon. God will use a demon to make sure that you are humble. Mm. Because Paul is saying... I received so many revelations from the Lord. And so this this reality can make me proud. It's got the potential to breed pride in me. And so he's given this thorn. And um, I know when you hear thorn, you're thinking of a, a rose bush thorn. Those tiny ones that like prick your finger. But the actual word when translated from the Greek um, scrolls, it it translates to a stake like those those big nails that they actually use to crucify um um people you know it's 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 an excruciating pain and he says lest this is there to buffet me lest i should be exalted above measure the second thing we can learn from this is that god uses suffering to draw us to himself verses 8 where he says for this thing i besought the lord thrice three times i went to god asking him to make it go away he couldn't take it anymore paul doesn't go to the messenger of satan and confront him he goes to his creator and he recognizes that God is sovereign over everything. Profound suffering has a very positive effect on your prayer life. It is such a pity because it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we can start to see the beginning of God. Because where else can we go? Even Jonah only turned back to God when he was at the bottom of the sea, in the bottom of the ocean, in the belly of a fish. He had nowhere else to go. In fact, it's only when we are under immense pain or stress or grief that we enter into the deepest communion with God. Far sweeter than any prayer that we offer in times of prosperity. And this is why sometimes God has to use this as a mechanism to draw us to himself. Because when we're in prosperity, we have everything we need. It's like, oh, God becomes an afterthought. But when you are suffering, God is the only thought. The last point we can learn from this is that God uses suffering to display his grace. Verses 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
God's response was not to remove the problem. Remember, Paul is in a lot of pain. He's saying, Lord, please remove this. I can't take it anymore. And God doesn't remove it. His solution is to increase the grace. And when the grace is increased, so is our confidence in the presence and the goodness of God. When we experience enduring grace, it produces assurance. Let's turn our Bibles to Lamentations 3 verses 19. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the bitterness. This is written by Jeremiah, the, one of my favorite prophets. He was, um, he was rejected by the people that he loved the most. They wouldn't heed to the word of the Lord. He was also referred to as the weeping prophet. And so this is also a very emotional and um, heavy, emotionally charged text. Verses 20 says, my soul remembers and sinks within me. Other versions say, my soul is bowed down within me. He is describing a very deep depression. But he says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. So when he remembers this, then he becomes hopeful. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Glory. The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. 27. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. 28. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Sit there, be silent, since God has brought about this trouble. Sit there. And wait patiently, wait faithfully for his compassion and his kindness to flood you. There is power in being silent when, you, when you're being persecuted. When Jesus was on trial, when they were spewing these vile things at him, he didn't utter a single word. I'm not going to get into that as well, but when you... When you When you are tempted to respond in anger or even in defense of yourself, just shut up. Be still and let God take care of it. Because if you start defending yourself, then you are saying that you can handle it yourself. Guys, let God fight for you. You don't have to do all that. Let God handle it. Remember, the spirit of truth will testify. And if you are silent, then that spirit testifies in your favor. The spirit of truth will testify to God the Father that they hated you without a cause. And the law will then be fulfilled. 
the father will come to your defense because my Bible says in Deuteronomy 33 verses 26, there is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. Oh, what a vivid picture. He rides the heavens to help you. The Lord is with you wherever you go. So enter your trouble, embrace your pain, because in it, God is humbling you. He does not promise a trouble-free life, but he does promise lavish grace in the midst of it. And so at this time, I really want to encourage you to pray when you are at your lowest point. Pray when you are broken. Because as Christians, we tend to think that there should never be periods in our, in our spiritual walks where we are struggling to pray. But I want to remind you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sometimes it's almost like you are at war with yourself. You can't bring yourself to pray. Why can't you pray? And I want to remind you that the enemy likes to hide, guys. He is at the head of your prayer life being sabotaged. He is trying to hinder God's plan. He will make you dwell on your past mistakes or even on your present problems and try to convince you that you do not have a future. And slowly, you find yourself wavering from God. Because you don't go from hot to cold. He takes you from hot to lukewarm. You start from praying every single day, to praying once a week, to praying once a month, to praying once a year, to praying once every five years. Satan is very methodical. He is subtle. He made his name by being subtle. He attacks your prayer life because of what he knows and understands about prayer. He knows more about prayer than Christians do. James 2 verse 19, you believe there is one God, good. The demons also believe and they tremble. So let's look at three things that Satan knows about prayer before we come to a close. The first thing Satan knows about prayer is that the Lord has told you to pray. We are to pray without ceasing. Matthew chapter 6 verses 6 to 7. When you pray, not if, he says when you pray. Satan wants you to believe that prayer is something that you do autonomously of your own volition. But in reality, we have been prompted. Philemon 2 verses 13. For God is working in you to give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Prayer pleases God. The instruction to pray comes from Jesus and the prompting to pray comes from the Holy Spirit. Guys, are you seeing this? Just, just close your eyes and picture it. This is the Trinity in action. 
Jesus Christ has instructed us to pray. The Holy Spirit prompts us to pray. And when we pray, we submit ourselves and we humble ourselves before God the Father. In this act of prayer, we interact with the Trinity. Oh, amen, Father. And Satan knows this. The enemy knows this. And that's why he tries to sabotage it. He knows that when you pray, Jesus is with you in prayer. And he is interceding for you as you pray. The second thing that Satan knows is that the answer to your prayer has been granted from before the foundations of the earth were laid. God acting or moving to answer your prayer is not within time. We are bound by time. We are beings that are rooted in time. We have a present, we have a past, and we have a future. But my God is not. Prayer is the power of God's grace at work in you. And the answer is always greater than the request to him who he's able to do more than we ask or imagine according to that power that is at work within us. The third thing that Satan knows about prayer is that he knows from the time you make your petition, you possess what you have asked for. When you ask for it, you already have it. And so he tries to disrupt you to, to get you to not ask for that. Do, do you see this? All we have to do is make the petition. And you'll get people asking well, if God already knows what I need, why do I have to pray? Why can't he just give it to me? Because prayer is the vehicle in which God answers. We spoke about this just a little bit earlier on the first point. This is when you come into contact with the Trinity. First John 5 verses 14 to 15 this is the confidence that we have when we pray, um, he hears us and we know that he hears whatever we ask. We know that we already possess what we have asked of him. We already possess it. When you make that petition, you already have it because you are more than conquerors. And please understand that I'm not talking about material things. This is not about, oh, I prayed for a car and therefore I already receive a car. No, no, I'm not talking about stuff. Remember, God is a spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. I'm talking about the, the fruits of those spirits. In a situation that requires, that is testing our patience. You know, sometimes we meet people who really test our patience. If you pray for patience, then you already have it. He has already given it to you. Um, let's look at um, Daniel. When Daniel prayed to the Lord, the Lord heard him and immediately 
enemy forces tried to attack his answer. To the point where Michael, the fighting angel, had to intervene. He speaks on it. You can go and read the book of Daniel. It's actually very interesting. Um, Gabriel tells him, the Lord has answered you. And he explains that I was fighting principalities from Persia. They, They were withholding me from coming to you. Enemy forces tried to attack him, tried to hinder this answer from from getting to Daniel. And I know we understand this in theory when when we repeat the words, um, we fight not against flesh and blood. But guys, this is real. This is real. We tend to get so impatient with how long the answer takes. But... We don't see the forces that the answer has to fight before it gets to you. And it's such a shame that we don't believe in prayer the way that we should. Remember when Jesus told Peter that Satan um, desired him? He was like, Satan wants you. Jesus didn't say, so I'm going to build this mighty fortress for you so that Satan doesn't have access to you. Jesus said, Therefore, I have prayed for you. If the Son of God can say that he has prayed for him, wouldn't he be doing the very thing that has the most power to protect his child? Guys, prayer is so powerful. Please don't don't sleep on its power. Please don't neglect its power. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that you may emerge from this. And when you do, strengthen the brethren. When you do, strengthen the brethren. There comes this act again of us being, um, of God sharing to us. And when we, it has been shared with us, we have to pass it on to someone else. If your prayer life has suffered, guys, then please humble yourself before God. When you resist the enemy, he flees from you. Resist the urge to make your suffering about you because it's not. It's so easy to sit in your grief, sit in your depression, sit in your financial problems, sit in all in all your problems and sit and cry and be like woe is me everything is so sad but this is not about you your problems are not about you and the enemy wants you to believe that your the enemy wants you to believe that your your problems are about you so that you feel like you're too broken to go to god you're too filthy or sinful to come to him so that he distracts you And I want to bind those lies in the name of Jesus Christ because we are called to be his children. To end off, Acts chapter 14 verses 22. We must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? To enter into the kingdom of God, we have to go through many tribulations. And the tribulations perfect our faith. They bring out fruit, right? All these hardships that we face are part of the process. So 
Don't let them deter you from putting your faith in the Creator. Your suffering is not about you. It is for the glory of God to be revealed. And when we suffer, we should count it all joy because my Bible says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Micah 7 verses 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. May the Lord add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, I submit the listener at this time. I don't know what sufferings they are going through and they are enduring, but I pray that this message may get through to them, that they might realize that it is not about them, but it is about you, Lord. May they be vessels that reflect you in the midst of their suffering, that other people looking at them may see Christ, Father, that when you pull them out of the fire, you might see your own reflection. All this I ask in your mighty name, I pray, knowing that it has already been given to us, Father, because the power of prayer is so immense. I thank you for this opportunity, dear Jesus. In the loving and living name of my Lord and my Savior, I pray. Amen.